Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 Church is a new church in Goodyear Heights, Ohio, that's inviting friends into family. If you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. For more information about us, including our service times and live stream information, check out the links in our show notes or visit us online at 539.church. That's F-I-V-E 39.church. Please take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me just take a minute to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Many of you know I serve as the Executive Director of Equip Ministries International. Recently, we were in Guatemala about a week and a half ago. Uh, We train overseas pastors and church leaders that have virtually no training at all. And it is a joy to be able to go into these countries and to be able to serve and to be able to train and equip them. We are in 11 different countries. And so thank you for praying. Uh, In Guatemala, we trained 120 pastors over the course of the week. And it was absolutely fantastic. And, and we got into a maximum security prison uh, for the first time uh, to visit, uh, not to stay there. And so uh, I'll share a little bit of that uh, in, in a few minutes with you. So uh, let me ask this question this morning. How many of you have either said something or done something that has backfired on you? Just raise a hand here. I think everybody has done that. Uh, maybe you have this incredible joke that you think is so funny, and when you go and tell it, nobody's laughing and it backfires on you. That has happened to me. Or maybe you found this incredible discount vacation getaway in the Caribbean, and it's everything you ever dreamed, and it's right in the heart of hurricane season, and it just backfires on you. Uh, Maybe you finally decided to be romantic and take your spouse on a picnic or your boyfriend or girlfriend on a picnic, and it backfired on you. It was a mosquito fest, and it downpoured on you, and it backfired. And how many of us have said this? I am not going to pay money to have somebody else do this project. I'm going to do this project on my own so that I will save money only for it to backfire on us. Two true stories of backfiring uh, to cut down on the cobra population in India. True story. The Indian government decided to launch a program that if you bring in a dead cobra, you would get a reward. I would think that would be a great, great plan. Only to have the people in India breeding cobras. Okay? And so when the government finally canceled the program, they let the cobras go out into the wilderness and caused the population of the cobras to get greater and greater more than ever before. Backfire. Uh, Here's one more. Uh, This is a campaign that actually went out that backfired to stop teen smoking. They used photos of, uh, of celebrities uh, to discourage smoking, but when the teenagers saw the celebrities and saw that they smoked, uh, it led them to continue to keep smoking, and it led to an increase in, in smoking. Backfire, backfire, backfire. As we wrap up this great book of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4 today, uh, we have seen that Jonah has all of these plans that have backfired on him. And yet God's plans have prevailed. Would you meet me this morning in Jonah chapter 4? If you don't know where Jonah is, it is in between Obadiah and Micah. And you're like, come on, Craig, give me something other than that. Go to the table of contents, find Jonah, 
and get to Jonah chapter 4. Now, I will say this. If you're jumping in and this is your first week here with us, one, we want to welcome you. But also, if you've not been going through Jonah with us, go to the website, a listen, see about this incredible series that we're doing on Sleep on Revival and on this incredible letter of Jonah. Jonah chapter four we're gonna cover this morning. Jonah is one of those books that is super easy to outline. It is very easy to outline. Chapter one, Jonah in the storm. Chapter two, Jonah in the fish. Chapter three, Jonah in the city of Nineveh. And chapter four, Jonah and the Lord. But there's a couple things that we need to remember and understand about Jonah. Everybody say Jonah. Jonah is not the hero of this story. God and his great grace and mercy is the hero of this story and is the hero of our story as well. And so the book of Jonah is about a God-pursuing God, uh, a very all-pursuing God who sees all and longs to impart his grace and his mercy to those who will put their trust in him. This reluctant prophet is not the hero of this story. And here's why. God doesn't run away from runaways. How many of you have been a runaway at some time or another? God does not run away from runaways. If anything, God runs toward those of us that seek to run away. And I was trying to think if I could capsulize this one, just in one sentence, this whole book of Jonah, it would be this for Jonah, and it would be this for us as well. We are always the happiest when we're closest to the Lord, and always the most miserable when we're furthest away. How many of you would say, boy, is that true? It's true for Jonah. It's true for us. We are always the happiest when we're closest to the Lord and always the most miserable when we're furthest away. Jonah chapter four this morning. Follow along. It'll be up on the screen here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, uh, till he should see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint." And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much 
cattle. The first thing that we really see in this passage is we see Jonah is angry and Jonah has an attitude. He is ticked. We've already seen in the first three chapters that Jonah is about Jonah. You ever know anybody like that? Jonah is about Jonah. Jonah wants things done his way. Jonah wants to call the shots. Jonah wants control rather than God. And he's upset or or displeased because he was banking on that the wrath of God would be poured out on this wicked city of Nineveh in the Assyrian Empire. He was hoping, he was praying, he was saying, Lord, I want your wrath to come down and destroy these people. And if you remember in chapter three, Jonah actually preaches a message of repentance that in the Hebrew is five words. He did the very minimum. You ever do the very minimum for the Lord? Well, I served in the nursery just for you know that year. I'm pretty happy about it. He did the very minimum for the Lord, and those five words basically were, 40 days you'll be destroyed. A short tweet, a drop of the mic. He said, Lord, I did what you wanted me to do. I'm not going to do any more. And as a result, what happens to Nineveh? If you remember in chapter 3, that city begins to repent. That city begins to cry out to God, turn their heart toward God, and you would think that Jonah would be raising the roof in praise, and yet he is angry toward God. He is angry at what is going on in Nineveh. Something we need to understand as we walk through this chapter. Jonah is not someone you want to imitate, but he certainly is someone we want to learn some lessons from. And look at his attitude that we see in verse 2. He says this, basically, I just knew you were going to do this. I I knew you were going to be gracious, and I knew you were going to do this. This is why I was hesitant to go to Nineveh. This is why I got on a ship and was headed to Tarshish, the furthest away from Nineveh as possible. I knew that you were, this is so God of you. Have you ever said that? (laughs) This is so God of you. And why is he upset? Chapter, or verse 2 tells us. Because you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah is using God's awesome character as an insult. He's insulted by God's goodness. He is insulted by the goodness of God. It makes me think of Tim Tebow. Everybody know Tim Tebow? Couldn't be a nicer guy, and yet for some reason, people hate Tim Tebow. I mean, what did Tim Tebow do that ever caused so many people to hate him? What, he was good in football? He he enjoys and likes to be with people? He takes care of orphans in third world countries? Jonah is doing the same thing. He's mad that God is so good. And everything that Jonah despises about God, Jonah has experienced himself. Jonah and us have experienced a gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. 
we have seen him work in our life. God provides grace and God provides mercy. You know, we throw those words around, grace and mercy, and sometimes we think, well, what, what, what do you mean? Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. It's just a free gift, and that gift is salvation. Mercy is not getting something that we do deserve, which is the wrath, the pouring out of his wrath on mankind. And so with Jonah here, he, he is upset because God has been so good and God has been so gracious and merciful, uh, relenting from disaster. He's upset about all of this. Jonah wants entitlement for himself, and he's struggling with God's grace being shown to others. So he's resentful. Jonah should not be resentful. Jonah should be grateful. Should be grateful. It's interesting how, if you think back to chapter 2, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, Jonah had no problem embracing these characteristics of God. Oh, Lord, be gracious to me. Be merciful. Uh, 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 steadfast in your love. Relenting from disaster. These are the things that God showed him in the belly of the whale, but these are the things that he does not want God to show someone else. He does not want God to show his mercy, his grace, and all of that. No one in this story has received more grace and mercy than Jonah, which leads to a question for all of us this morning. What is our attitude when God shows grace and mercy to others in a way that we don't feel they deserve? Look at that question. What is our attitude when God shows grace and mercy to others in a way that we don't feel they deserve? Do we respond in the way that Jonah is responding or do we respond in the way that God is responding? Even in Jonah's resentment, we see how God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin. Friends, God's grace is greater than all our sin. Amen? Amen. And so Jonah, again, forgets that this is not about him. This story is not about him. And then Jonah goes off the rails and he makes a blanket statement. All right, just kill me then. Just kill me. I would much rather die than to live. Seriously? A little over the top in the area of emotions, in the area of attitude, when we're not getting our way, when God is doing something that we don't like, we will make blanket statements and say, fine, fine, just take my life. And Jonah is doing this. A little over the top. Jonah's got some issues. Would you agree with that? And so do we. There, I said it. So do we. Jonah is seeing God work in a way that he does not want to see God work. Here's a great question for us. What if God offered grace and mercy to the person who hurt you, betrayed you, lied to you, would you be okay with worshiping Jesus for eternity right next to them? Think about that. The person that hurt you, betrayed you, lied to you, would you be okay worshiping for eternity right next to that person? Some of us think, no, shut them down, Lord. I don't want them to hear the gospel. I don't want them to respond. I don't want them to be in heaven. That's the question this story is getting at. And that's the question that is to get into our heart 
as well. Are you really okay with God being gracious and merciful to everyone the same way he has been gracious to you? So God speaks up in verse four and he confronts Jonah. And he says this, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you really think you have a right to be angry? It's as if God is saying, come on, Jonah. The same grace that I've, I've extended to you, the same mercy that I've, I've extended to you, I'm extending to them as well. So you, can you really be angry about that? And in this chapter, we see Jonah do something. He walks out of the city, and do you know what I think he's doing? I think he's sulking. I think he's pouting. We have a, a pouting prophet pity party going on. That's a lot of peas, okay? Uh, and, and we almost want to say, come on, Jonah, put on your big boy pants, you know? Act your age, not your sandal size. We, we find ourselves saying, come on, Jonah, grow up. Jonah has issues. Would you agree? And so do we. There, I said it again. Jonah, God wants to teach something in Jonah's life, and God wants to teach something in our life, too, about extending grace and about extending mercy. And yet, even though Jonah's plans backfire on him, with his reluctant and stinky attitude, we see God doing something for Jonah that should cause us to go, wow. God, even in Jonah's state of mind, shows an extreme amount of kindness to him. God is showing kindness to Jonah. God appoints a plant and causes it to spring out to, rot, to provide shade for Jonah. Question, does Jonah deserve this? Does he deserve this plant? No, Jonah does not deserve this plant to provide shade for him. And how quickly Jonah and how quickly we forget about God's kindness. You see Romans 2.4, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. How many of you sitting here today said, I, I came to know Christ not because somebody was thundering the gospel, but they were kind. They showed the kindness of God I experienced the kindness of God that led me to repentance. And it's interesting in this chapter, I mean, in verse one, we see Jonah is angry. In verse two and three, Jonah questions God. In verse four, Jonah feels he has a right to be angry. And then in verse five, Jonah becomes happy. This is the only time we see Jonah being glad about something. Do you know why? Because it benefits him. It benefits him. He should be thrilled. That's an old term. He should be thrilled that the city of Nineveh is repenting and turning their heart toward God. He's glad about the plant, but he's angry because the people of Nineveh are crying out and repenting and turning their heart toward God. I, I almost titled this message today, The Bipolar Pro a Prophet, okay? Because you see it in here. You see it as you read Jonah. You see this roller coaster 
of emotion and attitude that he has toward God and toward the Ninevites and up and down and up and down. And then we see God appointing a worm to take away that plant in verses seven to nine. The plant withers and dies. The scorching wind comes. The sun, it says that the sun beat down on Jonah to the point of where he was faint. The worm has eaten the plant that God has provided. And again, Jonah plays the card, I just want to die. I, I just want, just, just take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Can we agree that Jonah needs a heart change and an attitude change? I, I think we, we would agree with that. And this is a good time to evaluate our life, to say, when we are extending grace and mercy, are we only extending grace and mercy to the people that we love, or are we also extending grace and mercy to the people that have hurt us and wounded us and lied to us? How are we doing that? You know that every year in Jewish synagogues during Yom Kippur, the Jewish people get together and they read the book of Jonah. And at the end of reading Jonah, they all say together, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And there's a lot of truth to that. Because there are some of us sitting here today that we're all about grace and we're all about mercy when it deals with us. But if it involves sharing grace and mercy to somebody who is my enemy, someone for Jonah who the Ninevites were Israel's enemy, we say, no, hold on there. That's where my grace and mercy ends, but that is not where God's grace and mercy ends. And so we see here there is a tension here with Jonah that needs attention. And again, God asks in verse 9, do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And, and Jonah, I can just see him, you know, like this little, little kid stomping his feet and saying, yes, I have a right to be angry about this plant and this worm. Do you see who Jonah's thinking about again? He is thinking about Jonah. And we would look at that and we would go, it's just so foolish. It's so childish. He's more consumed and concerned over the plant which rises up today and is dead tomorrow than he is over the souls of the people of Nineveh. So let's just take a time out for a second. How many of us find ourselves so concerned and consumed over some things in our life? More concerned about that, more concerned about our plant than we are about the souls of people that are around our area and are in our lives. There, there was a great missionary in the 1800s, British missionary. His name is called C.T. Studd. It's a great name, C.T. Studd. And I don't know if it's his name or the quote that he did, but here's his quote. And the quote says this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Can we say that together? Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And the question we ask is, what are we doing with the one and only life that he has given us? Have our hearts become calloused in some way? Have they become numb? Have they become hard and uncaring that we, we no longer are extending that grace and mercy to people, especially our 
enemies. So I was in a maximum security prison in Guatemala about a week and a half ago. I went with another pastor from the Fairlawn area. We had a translator with us. We roll up to the prison and, and uh, a chaplain meets us outside. No phones, no keys, no nothing. They stamp your arm here with some black symbol and guards everywhere. 900 maximum security prisoners. Uh, you want to talk about their crime, think of the worst that they've done. And we had asked to go in and share the gospel with them. And so we're starting to walk through, and they've opened up a gate, and there's 900 prisoners. We are in one prison block or cell that has about 150 prisoners. And just before we, that door opens, our translator says, man, I'm nervous. And I'm like, well, I was fine until you just said that. And that door opens up, and I don't know if you've ever seen prison break, but it was just like prison break. They were not in their cells, they're in the hallway. And we have to walk right through that hallway. And my heart is just pounding, just pounding. And I mean, guys that are sweating, it is so hot there. And I mean, they're bald, and you know, if you're bald, that doesn't mean that you're a prisoner. But they're, 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 they're <laughs> sorry, where's, where's Gary, where's Gary? Anyway, uh, so... Gary. And so they're sweating and they've got tats and, you know, they are hardened criminals, drug cartel, murderers. And I'm walking through, buenas tardes, buenas tardes, good afternoon, buenas tardes. You know, I get this big smile and they're like, and I'm like, Lord, come Lord Jesus. And we walked into the chapel and it's solely on a volunteer basis. And we walked in and these guys started flooding in guy after guy after guy. The place was packed. And my heart is just pounding. And our, the chaplain said this, these men are called the forgotten souls because nobody comes to be with them. Nobody comes to share with them. Nobody comes to give them anything. And you have come. He said, nobody has come to this jail prior to COVID. And you have come today. And we shared the gospel about grace and mercy with these prisoners. And the response, friends, was unbelievable. Seeing so many prisoners put their trust in Christ, the forgotten souls. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, look at verses 10 and 11. In verses 10 and 11, it says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And it is in these two verses that if this were a movie, the music would begin to build. There would be like this cacophony of, ooh, this cacophony that just came out, this cacophony of music, uh, this, this building and building and building. We think, oh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out the reason behind this. What is God teaching Jonah? What is God teaching us? And it almost is a cliffhanger instead. 
We don't really know the outcome of all of this. Where the reader has to draw their own conclusion to all that has happened, it's not a, and they lived happily every after type of chapter. It leaves you asking the question, am I going to be like Jonah, or am I going to show the same grace and mercy to others, just as God has shown me? And in verse 11, when it speaks of 120,000, I believe this is talking about 120,000 children that live in that great city of Nineveh that are not old enough to know the difference between the right hand and the left hand. Parents, you know this. When your kids were little, you say, hey, give me your right hand, and they go, they don't know. In, in other words, they don't know about the accountability of sin. They don't know the evil that's going on. There is an innocence there. And yet there is still a need for mercy and grace being given to them. And here, here's what I know, and I, I don't know much, but I know that God counts. God counts and cares about every person in every city, in every village, and in every town. Because every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. Every number has a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. God's saying, you are so concerned about this plant and your way, you have completely missed my grace and my mercy that I'm wanting to extend even to these 120 children that don't know their right hand from their left. Sometimes God uses the wind to get our attention. Sometimes he uses the whale or the fish to get our attention. Sometimes he uses the worm we saw this morning to get our attention. Does he have our attention? Are we extending the same grace and mercy to those around us that God extended to the people of Nineveh? Did they deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. But that is so God to extend his grace and his mercy. What is your care gauge for the lost? Are lost people, even your enemies, just ignored? Or do we see lost people as real and breathing and people in need of a Savior? Uh, the reason why Christ seeks sinners and saves sinners and sends sinners like Jonah and like you and I is because Jesus loves sinners. And we see that in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. And do not forget this. None of us are so far gone that we cannot reach the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people that you think they are so far gone. Have you ever said this? They'll never come to know Christ. They are so far out there. No one is so far out of reach that they cannot experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's where we come in that God is using us in our flaws and our problems and our issues, but he's using us to display his great grace and his great mercy. Two things that ring true over the course of history. 
God has provided grace and mercy to Jonah and to us time and time and time again when we don't deserve it. How many of you would say, so true, so true. He has provided grace, he has provided mercy time and time and time again. And second, those of us who have received great grace and mercy should be the first to give great grace and mercy. It should be fresh on our mind every day. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so on Tuesday, we have a group from 539, and there's a few from Maranatha Bible Church that are gonna be going with Equip Ministries International to Germany. A great opportunity to share the incredible love of God, his grace and his mercy. I'm gonna have Ryan come up and just share a little bit about what the team is going to do. All right, well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. And uh, once again, welcome to 539 Church. We're so excited uh, that this week we do have the opportunity to take our very first missions trip as a church. Uh, very excited about that. If uh, anyone who's going on the trip is in the service, if you could please come up front, just stand right up front here. That would be great. We are excited to be partnering with Equip Ministries International, and we're going to be leaving this Tuesday, June the 13th, and uh, we'll be staying for a little over a week. Yeah, you guys can just fill in right up front here. Thank you. Um, we'll be coming back Wednesday, June 21st, so if you could please be praying for us, that would be awesome. And uh, we're going to be traveling to Warendorf, Germany, and while there, we're going to be working with Ukrainian refugees, uh, participating in some sports camps, uh, specifically soccer camps for kids, and there's already 150 kids signed up for these camps. We're just so excited about that. Uh, the missionary that we're going to be partnering with uh, yeah, guys, come on down front. Uh, the missionary that we're going to be partnering with is a man named Pasha, and he was a professional soccer player in Europe, and he retired from that in order to uh, host these soccer camps for kids all over Europe. And so he and his wife and children were initially based out of Ukraine. Uh, they were forced to flee there, and they uh, now live in Germany. And uh, the amazing thing about that is uh, the, the mission for them and the ministry for them has not changed. They are still serving the Lord, uh, despite where they are geographically. And so they're putting on camps all over Europe this summer. We get the privilege uh, and, and just the incredible responsibility of, of partnering along with them um, in, in the, the camps that they're holding in Germany. And so uh, I'm going to introduce the team. Uh, and and if, uh, when I say your names, you can just maybe just raise your hand and put some names with faces. And uh, not everyone can be in this, all three of the services. And so, yeah, when I say your name, if you could please raise your hand. Uh, Katie Boyer. Wynn Carter, Ben Carlson, Corey Kerowick, Brian Heinbuch, Dustin Ivey, Bobby Keller, Ethan Lane, Amelia Morris, and Diana Morris, Carson Wolf, and Matt Young. So if you could please be praying for us this week, that would be wonderful. Um, I'm going to ask Craig, if you'd please pray for us as a team as we head out, that would be, that'd be great. I think there's about 16 that are headed out. Uh, this is the very first missions trip that 539 is doing, and we hope that we hope that there will be many more in the future. And if this one doesn't go well, it is Ryan's fault. And so, uh, Absolutely. Hey, uh, could we stand and just extend a hand uh, out to these people and just ask that God would move in a powerful way? Uh, beginning Tuesday. He's already moving in this group. And so, Father, we want to thank you so much that you give us opportunities to be able to grow and serve and be stretched, and more importantly, 
to share the incredible good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would calm their hearts. I pray that you would help them to find their fit. I pray that, Lord, they would uh, be able to just get to know uh, these uh, teens and college students, Lord, that it would be a phenomenal week. Would you use their gifts? Would you use their abilities? And Lord, that they would be your ambassador, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, that as they go out, they would be able to be a light in the midst of darkness. Use them mightily for your name's sake and for your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.